if you're just looking at NPS by itself as a standalone, here's a company running a mid 80s NPS. Yeah. You would think they're good. We have nothing to worry about. But your key stakeholder here, your key decision maker in signing that check and that renewal is, is a detractor. Yep. So you got to look past that benchmark. So when your boss says, How, how's our score compared to other departments or other companies? You got to be a little more dynamic with your score a little bit, dive in a little bit deeper. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Account Experience Podcast. And we're going to switch things up a little bit. We've received a lot of feedback from you all requesting a few B2B benchmarks, and guess what? You're in luck. Today, we're kicking off a new mini-series on B2B experience benchmarks with our yet-to-be-released benchmarks data consisting of over a thousand responses from B2B companies of all shapes and sizes across the globe. In this first episode, we cover account sentiment, more specifically, measuring how many contacts per account you should have to get account sentiments. Without further ado, let's kick off the first episode in the series. Enjoy. I'm here as always with my co-host, Carrie T. Self. Hello, everyone. And uh, today, guys, we're going to go into some benchmarks. So I know everybody and their mother loves a good benchmark and... We're kind of, we straddle the line between benchmarks are good and benchmarks are bad, but yet there is still a demand in the market. So we want to try to provide some clarity with our benchmarks report, which we launch, I think every other year. So we don't do it all the time, but we do try to get enough data. So it's, it's pretty um, compelling results. And I'm, I'm happy to say that we're over a thousand responses on our latest data set. And we wanted to kind of give a sneak peek of what the benchmarks report would look like. So, Kerry, what are your thoughts on benchmarks, just to kick it off? Taking the side of bad? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think benchmarking can be a powerful tool. I think we were joking around earlier that, you know, I found Customer Gauge many years ago as yeah. a customer yeah. through the benchmarks. Because, you know, I had, a, I had a leadership group who wanted to know how they stood and how they performed with other people in the industry. Um, so, I think this is the first kind of, you know, I'll, I'll keep it really vague, but benchmarking can be challenging with certain data sets and certain metrics. Um, there's so many variables that go into something like an NPS score, for example, net promoter, um, you know, how the question's asked, who's asked, how often, um, there's so many variables. What type of business is it that could throw a number off like that? But I think there's other great benchmarking data um, so I have to say what we're going to talk about today, I'm really excited about, cause I would say it comes from the good category of benchmarking. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think there are some interesting KPIs or almost like, uh, strategies that we try to measure with this benchmarks report. Um, and one of the sneak peeks we're going to give is this question. So let's just dive right into it. You ready? I'm, I'm here. You know, I am. Okay. So. Basically, the question was, do you know how many key contacts you should have per account? Simple enough, right? Nobody knows. So literally, 67% said they do not have a structure to track how many key contacts they should have on each account. So, and this was kind of a shocking one. And the other options are, yes, it's an internal metric we track, which was only 20% of the responses. And then, yes, that's based off the total of revenue, which is the right answer, technically. Um, 13%. So 
nobody knows or has the structure to track this. And why is this so important, Terry? Well, you know, when you talk about key contacts with, with, with anyone that you're doing business with, we always used to use the term SPOC, right? Single point of contact is mm -hmm. one of the things that scares most of businesses or should scare you. Um, if you've only got one contact at your business partners, at your customers, you run the risk of being one person away from losing that account, that relationship completely. Yeah. I don't know if there's any way I can simplify that more. But what we're seeing with this more dynamic structure of account experience, what we're seeing is multiple relationships with multiple departments and multiple users. And these, when you start looking at the three tiers on top of that, you have a sponsor, a champion, managers, and then you have the user group. Now what you start to do is get this real dynamic that if it's a really large company and you have a really huge, large user base, you want to make sure that if you're going to reach out to them and ask them a question, get sentiment, you want to hear from a good sampling of that group. If I'm just hearing from one person, I run the risk that that person loves us or hates us mm -hmm. um, or they leave. God knows, Ian, we've seen that happen where our champion packs up and goes for some reason. And, you know, we're in that position where it's like, now what do we do? Um, so yeah, it's it, vital to have that. Yeah. I think that's a really good point is like, we base a lot of account experience around our own experience of like how we've learned to evolve over the years. Um, we there's a famous story about Adam, uh, and the management team running our internal net promoter score. We thought we had a great score of like, I think it was like 75. <laughs> Everybody's really happy about it. And then we had accounts churn and then we had another account churn and then we had another account churn accounts that we thought were happy. We had great scores for, but was it, what was actually happening is we didn't really have a full account sentiment. We had one score from one person that was probably middle management that liked the idea of it. So they gave us a really high score. End of the day, everybody else hated it. So like the frontline hated the solution and the C-level hated the solution. So they churned and what we've learned over the years is that you actually need to measure sentiment from three levels of the organization. Carrie alluded to it, the C level, the middle management and the front line. And what this gives you is a more clear view of how people actually, um, like your solution or are enjoying the solution or they hate it. Uh, it's so, so important because there is a ton to learn from getting the different levels. I can't tell you how many times, um, We've talked to some of our clients that they've basically, they have a C-level that loves their solution, middle management's lukewarm, and then their front line hates it. The people that are logging in every single day hate it. Um, and that's pretty common. Uh, so you really do need that full uh, measurement of sentiment across all of these different stakeholders. And just imagine you have the group that's supposed to be benefiting the most from it out on your <laughs> front line, right? They're driving your business. They're yeah. selling they're retaining your customer and they just hate the tool. So yeah. what does this do? This drags down productivity, sales, retention. I mean, all the metrics we talk about that if you're not truly getting their voice involved in that, I don't care how much the C-suite loves it or how much the program manager thinks it's great. If that front line is not better or the reverse, sometimes you have a front line that just loves their tool mm -hmm. and it's like they're, they're just sold on it. But yeah. then you have that one sponsor that changes who kind of comes in and is like, well, I'm going to, we want to change that to something different or that doesn't work. Then you can go back as that champion and go, wait a minute, 
let me show you what what that front line is really saying. Um, this is what they love about it. This is what they why they how they use it day to day. Yeah, and it, it really does go both ways. But I think back to the original benchmark, if you're not measuring it, how do you even know? I mean, that's that's the killer, right? 67% out of a thousand responses don't know. <laughs> and let's let's well, be well, honest, well, yeah. that 20% too is probably doing it wrong. No offense. Yeah. But we're looking at 87% of the people who answered that question are probably not measuring the right group based on volume. So they're yeah. probably missing all those right voices out there. It's really kind of shocking. I mean, and I don't know if this is because people haven't figured this out yet. I mean, like I said, we've learned along the way that we had Spock at many accounts back in the early days where we had one champion. And as soon as that champion's gone, you're up shit's Creek, right? Like you don't know who to reach out to. You, you literally, and then all of a sudden it goes, you can tell when it goes internally and then like the finance requests the contract. And then you're like, Oh, okay. Okay. This is not going well. We don't know who to reach out to. Now our direct point of contact is finance. Who is, it's a bad spot to be. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so important to not only just measure it for the sentiment side, but like measure it for like the account strategy side, like make sure, you know, if this champion leaves and the other thing we run into Carrie, which is worth mentioning, our champions get promoted, right? They get promoted. They've done such a great job with their program that they move on to a different job. AB and Bev is a great example of this. Like they, our original champion is now CTO of a different division. Um, and he's not directly involved, but we knew who to go to next. We had all of the champions lined up. We still had C-suite buy-in. We still had frontline buy-in. We knew who was going to be the actual program champion at the middle management level. So it wasn't a, a tough transition. We didn't hear from finance, thankfully, but um, <laughs> it's interesting, right? Yeah. And, and hey, I, I would be missed to not mention a step further than that. Let's say someone goes to another company or builds yep. out their own company. Think about that too. Mm. When you've got this lack of single you know, contact, now what you're doing is your referral program is almost baked in also. Yes. Now I've got 12, 20 people at these larger companies that when one goes out to take over something, we're the first thing they mention. So now you have a way to carry your brand with that individual it's not just stuck with that one person of the company now it's it goes in all different directions if you're doing a good job so yeah and one stat to mention i'm, I'm going to throw a question out to the audience a rhetorical question what do you think the uh the actual percentage of our new businesses on a monthly basis from referrals 40 percent on any given month it's usually 30 to 40 percent is referral based business for customer gauge that is a huge number. So if you're looking to increase your new sales uh, and you're not doing anything like this, can you imagine that's opportunity, right? Like 40% on top of your already existing revenue if you just start a referral program. To Carrie's point, if you don't know who your users are that love you, if you don't know who your middle management, and we're, we're not talking like three people. Some of these companies, companies are big, right? Like they have hundreds, hundreds of frontline, hundreds of middle management, that's a referral pool that you can track from company to company and you should because that's where you're going to get that 40% uptick in revenue from referral revenue. Yeah. But also, I mean, talk about a, a, a quick sales cycle. I mean, yeah. our referral business, not only is it 40% on top of our acquisition revenue, but it's, they close, I think we closed the referral in, in 20 days, which our sales cycle is much, much longer than that. Um, they're, they're fast. They, 
pretty much close for more money. They convert better. It's our highest converting source. I mean, I could go on and on, but I mean, this is gold, guys. So you really should have a system in place to track this. And to Carrie's point, you know, just segment them appropriately. Frontline, middle of management, C-level, super, super important. This episode of the Account Experience Podcast is sponsored by Customer Gauge, the leading B2B account experience software that ties revenue to your experience data in real time to help you make better account-centric decisions that drive revenue growth. Quick question, what do you guys think is the number one reason B2B experience programs fail? Believe it or not, it's lack of C-suite buy-in. And in Customer Gauge's research with MIT, they found the quickest way to align yourselves with the C-suite is to actually align with what they care about most, which is revenue. That's why Customer Gauge is literally built from the ground up to maximize and track the revenue contribution from your experience program in real time. Companies like DHL, Anheuser-Busch, Heineken, uh, yeah, we get a good amount of free beer. One Login, Iron Mountain, H&R Block, Super Office, and Sugar CRM are already using Customer Gauge to maximize their growth by tying their programs to revenue. And with over $10 billion worth of account revenue actively being managed in Customer Gauge, yeah, that's billion with a B. They're the leader in the space. But maybe even more interesting, they found that once you get alignment with that C-suite, the needs of these B2B practitioners or the program champions are evolving too. In such a complex account environment, it can be really tough to measure and act on feedback quickly across multiple departments, divisions, or even locations. Luckily, Customer Gauge has you covered there as well. With account native features that easily help you not only measure the feedback from multiple stakeholders in an account, but act on that feedback in real time. Because at the end of the day, if you're not empowering your frontline staff with the right insights to address customer issues, you're going to be dealing with a churn issue. It's not a matter of if, it's really a matter of when. Customer Gauge helps you distribute this experience data across your entire organization, regardless of department, regardless of location, regardless of division, all in real time. No manual spreadsheets or a team of analysts are needed. Customer Gauge's mission is to help B2B companies harness the power of account-centric growth to drive meaningful change in their businesses. And that's a powerful thing. If you want to see Customer Gauge in action, go ahead and check out customergauge.com and get a demo of account experience today. You won't regret it. If you, Right now, if you're not connected, you don't know who you, that frontline user is right now and you're not surveying them, you're not talking to them, you're missing out. I mean, I'm always shocked by how many people reach out to us that were just a frontline user. I was, you know, I was using your tool and loved it and they get into a position in a new company where they're frustrated and everyone's upset and they go, yep. I, I have a solution, you yeah. know, and it's just, yeah. I, that's what a referral is. It's someone, somebody gets a, hits a pain point. It's like, but wait a minute. I, I trust these guys. I, I, I know what they can do. Um, and I was important enough for them to survey and to talk to on top of that. Yeah. So yeah, they, they go to bat for you. They stick with you. They do. And it, it's also kind of a good indicator. We were talking to Trish on a previous podcast about, Trish is our VP of product, by the way, guys, uh, for those of you who don't know. And she was talking about how she loves like the, I don't want to say negative, but it's like kind of rough feedback because it keeps her honest. And as a VP of product, if you get very upfront, honest feedback from a frontline user that is using your product every day, it's hard not to take that seriously, right? I mean, that's that's a whole other benefit that I think a lot of people don't talk about is the product side, especially in SaaS, right? I mean, we're a SaaS company. VPs of product that get direct feedback from frontline users on the regular, I mean, come on, 
That's amazing. Yeah, that's that, that's where you're gonna get the real stuff. That's where you really enhance your product. Let's, yeah. No offense, C-suite. No offense, champions and managers. <laughs> but your frontline users are the ones that are really using it. And listen, I, I, I said this before. I'll say it again and again. They're the ones driving your sales. They're the ones driving your growth. And if they're happy and they're able to do their job faster, quicker, with more success, you, you look like a rock star. Yeah, it's true, man. A healthy, young rock star. <laughs> So the other thing that's interesting about this too is that, all right, so you don't have a structure to track account sentiment um, and your your net promoter score. So if you're just getting one contact surveyed, like kind of what we talked about with our original um, story with CG, if you're only getting one contact, that's generally where a lot of companies stop. And it doesn't matter if you're customer success, doesn't matter if you're CX, CSAT even, if you get one response, that's kind of, uh, Brian Hodge mentioned this in the previous podcast. Uh, it's kind of net promoter's Achilles heel is like sample size. You need enough critical volume in your responses in order to make a, um, a, a decision around that data properly. So what happens when you only have one response and it's a really great score, you know, you're going to make decisions off of that thinking that you're all hunky-dory or maybe you do nothing, which is even worse, right? I mean, you literally sit back and you think you're all on autopilot and then you get 15 more responses if you try again and they're all of a sudden really negative and your score all of a sudden goes to like a negative 30. I mean, that's a pretty big swing and that can happen pretty pretty on the regular, right, Kerry? Yeah, I, I look at it both ways too. You know, sometimes you get that one bad score because you only have one point of contact. Yeah. And you feel like your biggest account with all your volume, all your revenue in it is at risk. So now you're spinning. You're spinning trying to figure out what's going on. And it's one guy who was having a bad day or or, yeah. or he just had one, like he kept hitting a button that didn't do what he wanted to do. And so he's frustrated. He gives that score. And you, you get you get so pulled into this, this lens through one person of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if, if you are depending on data to make decisions, you don't want to put all that on one person. It's just, it's not, it's not a strong thing, especially in a relationship. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's also interesting when you get, you kind of alluded to it, the revenue piece involved, right? Where you have revenue coverage for an account. And so, just taking a step back even further, there's some accounts that you're not going to get responses from and you should know how much or what percentage of your overall revenue does that account for. So that's your unknown bucket. But then going even further, let's say two accounts account for 40% of your revenue. What happens if you have one contact in each one of those you know, accounts? That means a lot of your revenue is at risk. So there is that when you tie the revenue in, and we've been preaching this forever, but tie revenue to your experience data so you can make these types of decisions where not only are you looking at it from a revenue coverage standpoint of how many accounts you have responses from, you can go a step deeper and like, all right, in these two accounts that account for 40% of our revenue, we actually have, you know, five C-level responses. We have 20 middle management responses and we have 70 frontline responses, right? I mean, that's that's a powerful thing to know that you have that account mapped out, you're getting responses from it, as opposed to, again, being that company that says, all right, we got one response from account A, that's 20% of our revenue, we're good. Like, we're gonna, we're gonna let it roll. I think that's where a lot of companies stop because they just don't know any better, I think is really what yeah. it is. Yeah, and, it's score chasing, right? I mean, yeah. 
it feels good if it's a good score and 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 we 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 try to make those bad scores go away but if you really want to know if that if what the health is of that relationship yeah. and i and i and i i love this organizational chart and how it's broken down because in a glance i can very quickly tell you this is this is what's happening with with whatever group i'm looking at one company or a revenue bucket or a type of customer I can very quickly say, look, C-suites are, are, you know, they've got a lot of comments. They're not as happy, but the frontline users love us right now. So how do we, how do we translate that up? How do we communicate what that frontline is saying up to let that C-suite, that leadership know, hey, your users actually are in love with us. What are you frustrated about from your level? So we can, you know, this ties into return on investment. Yeah. You know, you know I, I walk into a board meeting and I have to explain why I'm spending X dollars on a solution. And it's, well let me bring to you the voice of, of the people that are using it and why it's so valuable and how it's tied to our success. And I think this just opens up a, a really, it's the hardest thing is how do you tie revenue to that program that you're paying for or to that, that workforce that you have out there. And if you can show it in this way, you know, what an argument you can make, you can buy that C-suite into whatever it is that solution is. So yeah, just to paint the picture for anybody listening, um, I have an image up of our organizational charts. This is a widget in our system that gives you the ability to track responses and scores at all three levels, um, four technically if you count undefined. So if you don't have a, a segment on one account, one uh, type of person, it's undefined. But basically A is C level, B is middle management, and C is frontline. Um, you can kind of see that in this example, our C-suite is, you know, in the red, so they're not super happy, they're detractor. And then the C-suite, or sorry, the C-level, which is frontline, we have multiple responses, all very happy. So very specific problem, right? You have a bunch of very happy frontline users, which is great. And then you have a kind of a C-suite that doesn't really see the value in the solution. So this would tell the CSM or the account manager to spend some time cycles with that upper management C-level to... Yeah. And to your visual, Ian, there's only one person at that A level. And if, if we had just surveyed that one person at that A level, we would walk away from this like, oh, my God, they hate us. They're going to dump yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that, I, that, that calls my attention to, to this example is at that B level, who's really usually our best relationship. It's usually the person we work with the most. I yeah. haven't heard from them yet. Yeah. So there's an absence yeah. of signal here that I'm a little bit worried about. So yeah. either they lost their champion, again, speaks to why um, we should really make sure we have multiple points of contact, or for some reason, that person hasn't gotten back to us. And, and to me, that's almost a bigger alarm, is why don't I have someone there, or why have they not gotten back to me? I need to address that pretty quickly also. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, because in this scenario, technically, you could probably extrapolate out that because we don't have responses from the middle management, which is usually the champion, to your point, um, when that contract for quote unquote customer gauge or whoever the account is comes up, that C-suite has a six, they're a detractor. They're gonna be like, I, yeah, I don't get it. We're yeah. not gonna pay for this anymore. Right. Even though you have a ton of uh, frontline staff that are very happy with the solution, if there's no champion to report up to the C-level, you you're got probably it. getting the ax here, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And you said it, you said it, that, that, that champion, that B level on this particular example is who usually delivers that communication up to your C-suite. Yep. They're yep. the one that has a deck and a report ready for them. They're the ones that, that rally behind whatever initiative it is. And 
that's what I'm kind of analyzing. I mean, it's pretty amazing. We did that anal, you know, analytics so quickly here, but just <laughs> by looking at this, we're missing, there's a gap, we're missing something. Yeah. C-suite's upset, frontline uses us, we need to swoop in and fix this. And that you and I just made a very strategic decision because we didn't have a single point of contact. We had a full picture here of, of, of a user base um, and, and it allows us to know, I need to get in touch with my champion or find out why there's not one there. Yeah. And it's interesting too, like the, if you look at the average scores across all the levels, it's 8.5, which is almost a promoter. So like you, <laughs> you right. think you're in good shape, right? I mean, that's the crazy part, but if you don't have the trackability or the segmentation of like the different levels, you know that your C-suite probably has a little bit more weight than a ton of happy frontline staff and that you might need to do some work there. But if you just looked at the average score, you're, you think you're sitting pretty, but again, I look at this organizational chart, I think nine times out of 10, I'd say you're probably about to turn an account, which is wild. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and you're right. It's a very high NPS score. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's interesting. So yeah, it again, really cool. and to my argument where I, how I started off with, if you're just looking at NPS by itself as a standalone, here's a company running a mid eighties NPS. Yeah. You would think they're good. We have nothing to worry about. But your key stakeholder here, your key decision maker in signing that check and that renewal is, is a detractor. Yep. So you got to look past that benchmark. So when your boss says, How, how's our score compared to other departments or other companies? You got to be a little more dynamic with your score a little bit, dive in a little bit deeper. Yeah. And back to the original benchmark that we're teasing here, how many of you have a structure to manage multiple stakeholders? And it's 67% said they don't have a structure. 67%. That's the majority. And that's scary because we know what can happen. And we just demonstrated it when you don't have a good system to measure this. I mean, we hope this helps you guys understand why it's important to get the account sentiment. It's not just a single contact sentiment or just calling one piece of feedback, the account sentiment. It's not, it's not the case. It's not the same thing. So we would highly, highly encourage you guys to look at it from that standpoint, the frontline, middle management, C-level. If you can, divide it up. If you can't, give us a call. We can help out. But that's really what it's about, guys, is, is making sure you have checks and balances in place. That's really what this is, right? You can't really rely on that promoter. And we love it to death. It's amazing for certain things. But for a modern program, you need a little bit extra spice on it to make sure that you're really covering your bases. Because if you just blindly believe in the score, might not work out too well, especially if you don't have a good sense for, you know, the size of the responses or um, the type. So like, are they the majority of your revenue? Um, it can go kind of off the rails pretty quick. Yeah. And don't care what we call what you call it either. Right. Don't let anything go undefined. But listen, no matter what kind of company you're dealing with, we know there's three levels. There's the upper level that's strategic C-suite could be a small company. It's the business owner. It's the guy who owns the company. Fine. And then you've got this middle suite. That's the management. That's the group that's out there who's managing the people. And, and, mm -hmm. and so, and then there's that, that like we said, there's that front line. There's that group that's out there that's literally the face of your business, touching every single one of your customers. Right. And as long as you segment it in one of those three buckets, you start to get a pretty good idea of, of how your relationship is with each of them. So don't get caught up. Don't worry about, oh, is he this? Is he that? What's their role in, into their organization? Drop them into the right bucket. Um, so key. Boom. So we'll keep it short and sweet today.
Um, if you guys like these little sneak peek benchmarks uh, podcasts, we'll do some more of them. We have, I think, over like 50 data points that we're, yeah, we got a ton. <laughs> so eventually we're going to write a comprehensive report here. But um, for now, we're going to start teasing these out so you guys can kind of get some value from it before we release the report. Um, as always, thank you to my co-host, Carrie T. Self, for joining me, and uh, we'll talk next time. Thank you.